the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. From Talk 910 KNEW San Francisco, this is Rob Black. Rob talks about your money every weekday, live and local, from 10 to noon. Enjoy the show. Live from the Bay Area, your money, your life. This is Rob Black. It's Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. <laughs> I got Jeffrey Lerman, power attorney. Married to Michelle Lerman, power attorney. So they're they're attorneys, and I'm just going to bring him on and let him tell you what he does. Jeff, what type of attorney are you? What do we need to know about you? I am a real estate and business lawyer. We do transactions and litigation. We niche our practice towards real estate investors and uh, the problems that and challenge the unique uh, challenges and problems that they face. But in our office, as you mentioned, Michelle, who's uh, my wife and also my law partner, she does estate planning. And so there's a lot of complementary crossover areas that we both can uh, can help people on. But the issues and challenges that real estate investors face are really common to a lot of general business people as well. So there's nothing uh, that we're going to be talking about today sure. that is that so unique that it just applies to real estate investors. Absolutely. So I'm going to open it up to the phone calls. If people want to call in and ask an attorney, he's, he's here free of charge. You don't have to put a retainer down. Wait a second. Free of charge? You're, you're FOC, buddy. <laughs> Radio doesn't pay like it used to. Oh. Um, 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. Of course, I'll get some plugs in for your law firm, though. LermanLaw.com and LermanLaw.com. Um, so a real estate investor, let's talk about California. California, the land of opportunity, the uh, land of the golden bear. I grew up dreaming of California. I wanted to move here. When I moved here eight years ago, I saw that real estate, people were real estate crazy here. People love real estate. They think it's the best investment ever. Where are you in the uh, California real estate angle? Well, I think that it's an interesting phenomena that I, I've been around this business for uh, about 30 years. Mm-hmm. And what we have seen, and you've probably seen as well, something in this last cycle, which is something I haven't seen before, is the uh, tendency or the willingness of investors to go beyond just that traditional, well, I can't drive there and see it within an uh, an hour drive, then I'm not going to invest in it. We've got people in California, as great as the California market is, what we're seeing now are investors who are comfortable and sometimes over, uh, I think, overly comfortable in investing uh, uh, either nationally or internationally. And I think that the fundamentals that always apply to good sound investing, due diligence, doing your homework, still apply. And I think part of what happened in this last run-up is people got a little bit sloppy in that. And they were, and I got to tell you, I used to stand up in front of these investor clubs and I would see somebody fly in for an hour from across the country and they would pitch a deal and they would say, come to the back of the room, give us your credit card for a deposit. 
and uh, people would do that and never do their due diligence. I mean, that was uh, it was giving up. It was a lot of the greed factor sure. going on. And so uh, California has always been uh, one of the best real estate markets in the world, always will be for all the reasons that everybody knows, the same reason that people want to live here. Uh, parts, of ca- it, parts of California. Pardon? Parts of California. That's true. And you got that, too. So you, it's, it's coastal California's lovely. That's right. And But then you've got Fresno or Stockton or Modesto, um, which were ground zero places for some of the some of this huge uh, foreclosure uh, meltdown. Right. So it, it is a it, it's it, it is a market where, again, you have to be there's a lot of micro markets and you just have to do your homework and know what you know, where, where it makes sense to invest. So what do you look for? And I'm speaking with Jeff Lerman, uh, attorney at law. We're talking real estate. We're going to be talking partnerships. We're going to be talking law. What do you look for in real estate? You, you've been around the block a couple times. Me personally? Yeah. Well, I think for, it's, it's a good question. Yeah. No, for me personally, uh, I actually uh, prefer the bigger deals. I don't, uh, you know, there's so many different ways you can make it in this business. You could do, you can make it buying single family homes. And I have a client who's uh, one particular client who's bought hundreds of single family homes and he's done very, very well and absolutely nothing wrong with that. For me personally, I prefer going with a bigger deal like an apartment building, shopping center, office building, just because to me, it just makes it a little bit more interesting to me. And I think it almost takes just as much uh, a time to do the due diligence on the smaller deal, if you do it right, as it does for the bigger deal. And so I just kind of, I'm a big fan of leveraging my all my resources, uh, my time as well as my money. Okay, good stuff. Now, for instance, in real estate, what I look for, um, just because we're having a conversation, I look for a state with good taxes. I look for a state with good roads. I look for hospitals close by and jobs close by. Hospitals and jobs and universities are are probably the most important thing to me. And that's why, like, Phoenix didn't make much sense to me. Um, And Las Vegas didn't make much sense to me. And I didn't understand why Californians were going into those markets and buying real estate because they don't have a great hospital network. They don't have a great job network. Um, That's what I look for. Well, it's interesting, you know. There's so you're talking more about uh, market due diligence and that kind of thing. Yeah, and yeah. likelihood that some other one is going to come in and buy your property 10, 15, 20 years. From right, now. and um, I got to tell you, Vegas has, up until this last downswing, defied the odds for a couple cycles. We looked at Vegas back in, um, if I recall correctly, the late '80s, right around coming up in the '90s. And when we, uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, we actually put some money down on, on a couple of deposits on a couple of properties there, pulled them out when we saw the economy turning in 90, because we thought, we saw that right. the economy was starting to flatten out back then. And we said, man, when it flattens out, Vegas is going to get hit hard because who's going to come to Vegas to gamble? Didn't it, it, it didn't flinch. Vegas kept going and going and going through the cycle in the 90s and so up until recent, yeah. You know, so even sometimes the traditional and the things that you mentioned are absolutely the kinds of things that you do want to look at. Sometimes a market has its own story. Well, the downside on Vegas in this cycle is that they started diversifying away from gambling and they started putting high end retail and high end restaurants. And those do get hit in a cycle. Well, it certainly didn't help uh, with uh, President Obama making his statement about uh, about all the 
conventions. Uh, the yeah. conventions, that certainly didn't help. But, yeah, I mean, Vegas will come back. Vegas is, every, you know, it's just like San Francisco, you know. Any economy, or Houston back in the in the 90s, you know, every time a major metropolitan area goes through a challenge, typically what happens is it reinvents itself, it diversifies, and comes back stronger than it was before. It'll happen. Vegas is Vegas makes too much sense for it not to come back very strong. I'm speaking with Jeff Lerman, and you mentioned that one of your clients, he's an attorney at law, one of your clients, uh, has hundreds of, of real estate properties. Why would he need you? Where does an attorney become viable to real estate investors? Any type of real estate investment in the cycle of ownership of real estate has so many legal aspects to it. Everything from writing a purchase offer to doing your legal due diligence as well as your business due diligence. I mean, you're just talking a minute ago about some of the uh, market due diligence, and that's great, but there's legal due diligence you have to do as well. Even in a single-family property, single-family residence, uh, if you're going to do business with partners, for sure you need to have a lawyer involved there. When you do own real estate, you are going to be forced to deal with legal relationships that you didn't have to deal with before, so you need a lawyer for that. And so um, there's also asset protection and making sure that the way that you own your real estate is strategic enough so that if a creditor or uh, comes after you or if you run into a problem or somebody's thinking of suing you, you have set yourself up in such a way that you can effectively minimize any uh, chance of lawsuit against you. So, so many different ways that you really do need to build a team, not only of a good lawyer, but a tax advisor and uh, somebody, you know, you really need a team that really can help you deal with a multidimensional business. Give me an example, Mr. Lerman, if you will, where someone got in over their head and failed or collapsed because they didn't do it correctly legally. <laughs> uh, Give me one of a How thousand. long do we have? <laughs> Give me a juicy one. I mean, we, we all love you know, hearing about others' well, dreads. Well, let, let's, let's talk about, since a, a big part of what we were going to be talking about today is partnerships, let's just yeah. talk about this particular one. And we've got, I, I represent clients and, as I said, both litigation and transactions. So I see the deals come together and I see them fall apart. And uh, what we see an astonishing amount of the time are people who come together with others and they can often be friends and family. And, And in those situations, it's almost even more dangerous because you're lulled into some false sense of security that you can you can trust the the person that you're partnering with because you've got this past relationship with them. But then uh, what we have is a situation, and this is typical, where the money gets tight and there's more money needed, and you have one partner who has the ability, but the other partner doesn't carry their weight, and so you get into this partnership dispute over uh, who whose fault was it that the partnership needs more money, whose obligation is it to come up with the money, and that can result frequently in a lawsuit where uh, it, can, it can chew up years of your life and it can it re- require tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees to resolve, not to mention the opportunity cost, the, the time that you have to devote to resolve this problem steals valuable time away from so many other things. You're generating your your profit, 
your revenue generating uh, business or other investment opportunities. So, you know, that is, it's sort of a hybrid description of the person who partners with somebody else, but either doesn't document their deal adequately from the beginning. Sure. Or maybe they documented it, but they didn't cover all the points they should have covered, you know, and, and, the most frequently litigated one that we happen to see is this whole cash call provision. What do we do if we run out of money? It's pretty common, too. It's advice that I have, Mr. Lerman. You can tell me if I'm wrong, and I'm not a Please lawyer. Please call me Jeff. I'm going to call you Mr. Lerman because you scare me. <laughs> um, my, my, my question or my thought is never go into business with friends unless you do get a bulletproof contract. Don't go into business with family members um, because it'll ruin your friendships, especially when it, money gets involved. Yeah, you know, on paper, that's great advice. And uh, forget on paper, it's it's yeah. good advice. The reality is very different. I will tell you that I see uh, a lot that people do end up doing business with friends and family. There's a natural inclination uh, because... You think you can trust them. You think you can trust them. Yeah. And I will... Uh, now, maybe, you know, my view of the world is skewed because I generally see uh, more of the problems than the average person. Um, I don't know. I I think that if it's done right, and uh, and when I say done right, I think that this applies not only to friends and family, but to anybody, strangers, friends, family. And it's just, you know, you think of a partnership like a business marriage. There's got to be full communication at the very front and make sure that everybody's clear on what their expectations are of each other. You can minimize some of the issues that could pop up later. So uh, if you, for whatever reason, disregard your sound advice and you say, (laughs) you know what, I think I do want to do business with uh, my family. As a matter of fact, it's funny because I'm in deals with my, uh, with some of my relatives, I'm in deals with my, uh, with my father-in-law and uh, it's worked out great. And, so, you know, it's worked out great, but what if it didn't? It ruins Christmas. It ruins the holidays. Oh, absolutely. So. Absolutely. Yeah. No. The, the, and I've got friends who we've talked about doing business and they say, you know what? Uh, we've got this policy that we yeah. don't like to do business with friends. Maybe they just don't want to do business with me. And they're just pulling that one out of the drawer because it's a good one. But no, uh, it, it is sound advice because the relationship is um, the relationship is definitely put at risk when you do that. Need to go to break, make some money. But when we come back, we're going to be speaking with Lisa in Napa and John in Woodside. 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. I'm speaking with Jeffrey Lerman, president of the Marin County Bar Association. Powerful attorney, smart guy. Any questions, bring them on. 800-345-5639. His website's LermanLaw.com. LermanLaw.com. jump right into this. It's the Rob Black Show. I got Jeff Lerman here for an hour. I've had his wife, Michelle Lerman, on the show. I think they're good spokespeople. I think they get good information out there. Uh, and again, good, successful law practice that speaks for itself. LermanLaw.com. Let's go to Lisa in Napa. Lisa? Yes. Go ahead. Hi. Uh, my question is, I have been trying to do a loan modification uh, for the last three months, and I'm on my third attempt now with hardship letters and sending in pay stubs. Um, I've been with my job and company for 22 years and still am, luckily. My husband was in construction, large large firm out of San Francisco that just got real slow, and so he's been off for three months. So to me, I feel like we would be perfect candidates for a modification, but we're having a really hard time with our with the company that 
that our loan's with. How um, much is your loan for? How much? Yep. Our loan is for 740000 which is what our house right now, I'm sure, if even, is worth. Our property and um, home taxes just came back as um, they were reassessed and said that, that, that it dropped down to 725000 Okay. Mr. Lerman, so anything? what's 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 the main problem that you're having with the company? Just non-responsive, or the response they're giving you is not addressing? They're giving... not, right, they're not addressing it, or they're calling and saying that they didn't. They only have received half the forms that they need. And finally, I talked to someone who researched and found everything and said he was going to put it back through, but now we haven't heard again. So, really, when do you do? do should I call it an attorney? I mean, do I have someone come in and help me that way, or? I don't even know what to do. I don't know if I should just go into a short sale. I, you know, we're just kind of stuck. Right. Uh, well, I first of all, you said something at the beginning, which I think is an important uh, general point to extrapolate from for everybody else who's who's listening here, and that is that the uh, from what you from what you said, it sounds like your hardship may hopefully be temporary. I mean, you said you talked about. And I and I put that in the letter. I said, you know, maybe if you could modify this loan for a year until things get better, we'd like to try and keep the house. I mean, right. It's on. We have an acre. We have animals. So I mean, it would be beneficial for us to be able to keep this place. So I will tell you that is one of the most important things that the loan uh, modification agents are looking for is they're doing an analysis now, especially over the last uh, I don't know six months or so. The with the uh, new programs that have been implemented, one of the things that they do is they try to um, look and see if they do a modification for somebody, what is the likelihood that this is just going to delay the inevitable? In other words, is this a is this a hardship that is permanent or is this a hardship that is temporary? And if it is temporary, what is what kind of time horizon are we looking at? So I think you are focusing, it sounds like, on the right things to communicate to them to get their attention. I will tell you, uh, your frustration, and this is all over the newspapers as well, Mm -hmm. these loan modification agents are so swamped, so overwhelmed uh, with with work that the squeaky wheel really does get the grease. And so part of the answer to your question is keep being persistent until you get the satisfaction that you want. There is another... Uh, aspect of this, which I think we can generalize for the audience and also address for your specific situation, and that is whether or not it makes sense. You mentioned using a lawyer, or let's talk about maybe using loan modification uh, consultants, because that is a cottage industry that has sprung up out there. And unfortunately, as also has been reported in the newspaper, there's a lot of fraud in that whole area as well. So you really have to be careful uh, who you go with and who you use. I do think with the uh, especially again in the last six months, with all of the new programs that have been created, it does help you to use a professional loan modification consultant to be your advocate in these situations. Um, so how do you find one that is a legit company, and do you have recommendations? Or Yeah, I, uh, I do have uh, a... A lawyer who uh, who that we uh, have partnered with, so I'll make that disclosure up front. And but but this is a lawyer who is somebody I've known for a while, and I I, I see the work that she does, and she's very very. How good. can they get the referral? 
Um, so why don't you send me an email to jeff at lermanlaw.com. That's jeff at l-e-r-m-a-n law.com. And I'll be happy to give you the referral to, uh, to that person. And, and this is uh, somebody who really understands the programs that are out there and uh, can help you in navigate these, uh, these waters. Great. Good luck, Lisa. 800-345-5639. Mr. Lerman, every three minutes, you got to let me talk. It's in my contract. Sorry. Just got to gotta honor it because I got to get my words in. <laughs> Let's go to Daniel in San Francisco. You know I'm kidding, right? Uh, no, I, I know you guys got to get in there. Nah, you're just you're taking too long with him. Cut to the chase and, and give him the advice. Okay. Daniel in San Francisco. Daniel. Morning, guys. Um, I'm a renter. Um, I rent a duplex in River City, and I signed a lease agreement with a non-smoking clause in it. And the other tenant, uh, the other half of the duplex, uh, may or may not have signed the same agreement. Now, the, the tenant still smokes, and ha- as a result of it, it's caused some smoke damage to um, uh, some baby stuff that we have stored up in the garage. Now, uh, my renter's insurance won't cover the damages, so what I wanted to find out is, should I file a small claim against the tenant, the landlord, or the owner, since the tenant has been given warning, um, but they're still persisting on the smoking I'll give you the advice that every good lawyer always gives to a plaintiff. Sue everybody you can. Uh, in your situation, in all seriousness, there is, from the brief description you gave me, some potential liability to, uh, to go around. And so, um, by the way, how much is the amount that you would ask for in small claims? Um, well, I haven't filed yet, but it'll probably be several hundred dollars. Several hundred dollars, yeah. Uh, before you go to small claims, write a, write a letter try to avoid having to go to court and, and lie that a particular amount. But no, from what you described, it sounds like potentially everybody's got some uh, role to play here. And the more that the more people that you could get involved, the more likely it is that you'll be able to cobble together some sort of a group settlement that will ultimately uh, get you the money that you want. Okay. Thanks very much. Was that fast enough? Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> you, you left us with too much time to fill down. Yeah, I, I, I get paid by the hour, so I tend to talk slower and give more information because it means that we get more. Yeah, but we'll get more questions. You'll look more legit. Okay. Um, let's go to John and Woodside. John? Hello? Go ahead, John. Yes. Um, thank you for taking my call. I had a, uh, I had a, a loan agreement with First Nationwide with a loan modification agreement in there that I paid $100 for. And it got bought by City Mortgage, and now they are not – they did it. They honored the modification two times, and now I'd like to do it again, and they say that they're not doing that anymore. Is there anything I can do about this? or? Well, so if, uh, if I understand your question correctly, the whatever you got a short-term loan modification for a certain number of months, and uh, the second term has expired. Now you're trying to do it again, and so you're wondering why the new why the new lender won't play ball. Is that it? Um, no, there was no term. I actually bought a an option that would, for the life of the loan give me the modification option every time that the interest rates go down for uh, $300 or 325 I could remodify my loan. And City Mortgage honored that three times. And so now I'm down to five and three-eighths, but now they're offering four and a half, and that'll drop me down $117. <clears throat> and, uh, but 
they say that if I refinance it, that's what they do it for, but they won't do the modification anymore, they're saying. It depends what your document says. If the document uh, has a provision, the document should have a provision which says to what extent it is binding on any future assinees or servicers or whatever, and that's maybe tucked inside the boilerplate at the end. It might be a relatively short document in any event. But you should take a look at that and see what it, in fact, says, because maybe you just need to point that out to the new lender. Or it could say that it is not binding on anybody else, in which case, if, if that's the case, then, uh, then you have no legal uh, foot to stand on. You just got to uh, basically make your best case without the, the prior history. So it really depends what the document says. So, right. Jeff, would you get uh, an attorney involved if you were him? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, any decent attorney could take a look at that document right. and in two minutes uh, take a look and see if the provision is there and what it says and uh, then decide if what, what the m- most appropriate action would be. Thanks. Is for... there a way for me to find that document again? Because I've gone through all my papers and my best friend is a lawyer and he says never throw a paper away. So I'm sure I have it someplace, but I can't locate it anywhere. Is there another place I can go to get my all my documents from my first loan at First Nationwide? Uh, how long ago was the loan done? Probably five or six, seven years ago. Yeah, that's going to be really tough right now. There, what you're seeing is that there is these loans get sold off so many times. It would be, uh, it's not impossible. It's going to be very challenging to try to track down loan docs from that many years ago. Thanks for the call. 800-345-5639. We're speaking with Jeffrey Lerman. You can find him at LermanLaw.com. He does have a free report. If you want to get a copy of it, I'll tell you about it. The report's called 12 Warning Signs. You're headed for a lawsuit with your partner. We'll tell you how to get in touch with Mr. Lerman. You can do it through his website, LermanLaw.com. But other other contact information coming on the show. It's the Rob Black Show, 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk. This is the squirrel net zippers. You ever heard of them? I did. Yeah. They do kind of a 1930s, 1940s retro music. Yeah. Out of North Carolina. Fun band to see. Pretty cool. So it's kind of like seeing a lot of hippies. Not hippies. Like, uh, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Hillbillies on yeah. stage. Yeah, it's, it's a fun show. Did you see Steve Martin the, uh, two nights ago on Letterman? I did not. Oh. But he's picking the banjo, right? Yeah. He had so. his whole group up there and he's playing. Car- he played Carnegie Hall last night. Does a pretty good job with it, too. Yeah. So he was in San Francisco recently, too. Uh, he was the there at the, uh, two days ago. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So we're on this. We're on this. Now, your email is what? Jeff at LermanLaw.com. L-E-R-M-A-N-Law.com. And you have a report, 12 warning signs that you're headed for a lawsuit with your partner. I can't tell you how many horror stories that I have. I've had two partnerships blow up for all the wrong reasons. So Jeff Lerman is an attorney at law. He's out of Marin. You can find him at LermanLaw.com. He's, I want to say you specialize in real estate and business law. Right. So tell me, from your personal experience, without yeah. going too deep but or prying, uh, from your experience, what was the single biggest lesson that you learned from those partnerships that blew up? Um, all things end. The Beatles broke up. They should have had a contract to figure out how to separate the Beatles. All small businesses ultimately go awry. Um, in some way, shape or form, there's going to be a breakup. Someone's going to die. Someone's going, wife is going to want more money. Someone's going to want to leave the state and not being prepared for contingencies destroys companies. Right. So, blood. so what you just said actually is 
a big part of what I do. Part of what I uh, people pay me to do is to think about all the doomsday worst case scenarios that can happen and then try to anticipate and plan for it. And one of the ways that we do what you just talked about was uh, we discuss up front what the exit strategy is going to be because everybody needs an exit strategy, even if the exit strategy is just uh, we wind it up and sell. Uh, or it can be, some, you know, uh, I die, you die, I become incapacitated, whatever. But the buy-sell provision of an agreement is super important. I can tell you that even if somebody has the uh, ha- has the smarts to go and hire a lawyer, I can't tell you how many partnership agreements I've read that don't have a buy-sell provision. So it's, you know, th- there are so many traps for the unwary, unfortunately, in this business. I have seen people who have had a partnership agreement put together, whether it's a, par- a limited partnership, a general partnership, uh, a, a limited liability company operating agreement, and they uh, they had a lawyer do it, and it's uh, it doesn't cover all the bases. And it has to cover all the bases. Um, again, a car crash could leave someone uh, mentally unfit to work, and yet they still think they own 50% of the company and are entitled to 50% of the income. Uh-uh. So one of the things that people need to do when they do hire a lawyer is ask a couple questions. How many of these how many of these types of agreements have you done before? Is this something, what percent of your practice do you spend dealing with these kinds of transactional issues? Because I've seen deals where it turns out that the lawyer was primarily, say, an estate planning lawyer, and they just kind of do these as, it come, as they come across their desk. And putting together the right joint venture agreement, let's just use joint venture as the umbrella term. There's lots of different joint sure. ventures. Uh, requires a certain amount of experience and knowledge, not only textbook, but also just real world, having seen a lot of deals blow up and why they blow up. Because you know a lot of times those are the beginnings of the creation of a unique provision in the, in the agreement that may not be in a textbook. What would you have advised the Beatles? They were a small business. They recorded albums. They they made millions of dollars. And then Yoko Ono blew it. A woman came in between the band. Right. Is there, I mean, you've said you've seen everything. Can you throw that in there? Well, first of all, I don't, uh, going back then, I was about 13 years old when they broke up. Uh, I remember when they broke up, but I don't remember if there were lawsuits and battles. I mean, I know there was a lot of... Um, Hard feelings. Yeah. Everybody was, you know, bad mouthing. I love that you're trying to answer a ridiculous question. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect you to actually answer it. Okay, see. 800-345-5639. You can find Mr. Lerman at LermanLaw.com. He'll be a regular guest on the show because everyone likes talking to attorneys. Let's go to Randy in Oakland. Randy? Hello. Go ahead, Randy. Yeah, I love uh, listening to this terminology, loan modification. If, if I walk into a bank and give the teller a note, uh, the reads give me two hundred thousand dollars. I'll be arrested and taken to jail, right? Pretty much so. Well, what's the difference here? Well, this this so-called loan modification is is asking the bank or the lender for money. It seems to me the best advice that you could give these people, especially that that last caller with a seven hundred forty thousand dollar mortgage. Uh, first of all, I'd like to, a little more information on their financial picture, but I'll bet they weren't making more than one hundred fifty k a year combined income. What are you doing? sitting on a $750,000 loan balance. Walk away from the house, start your life over, save some money, and and live within your means the next time you're going to buy a house. How about that for some advice? I don't think that's inappropriate, and that's what I've been saying for years, two and a half times your income. 
I think that the point you're making, Randy, is one that actually is is being made a lot, and I think it bears repeating, which is that you got to take a certain amount of responsibility. You know, I I, I share your frustration. Pardon? How about how about take how about let's be adults? You went to a lender. You asked to borrow some money to buy a home. They said, "Okay, here's the money under these conditions. If you can't pay, we get the house to recover our money." It's real. It's plain and simple. Keep in mind, Randy, we don't want to be adults anymore in this society. Randy, where you're making a little bit of a mistake, and thanks for the call is that the banks have an interest in this. They don't want the property. They want cash flow. That They want to go out and leverage their business 35 times for every dollar of cash flow they pull in. They want this to work out well. Even if they have to eat it, they're willing to do it. it it's not a win-win scenario, but it's a scenario where the banks have some skin in the game too. Yeah, and uh, the flip side of that is the, the problem, part of the problem is that the lenders were complicit. They basically set, the, set, set up an environment, a situation where borrowers could be that lackadaisical in their commitment and their responsibility. They were offering, you know, again, we've all heard this, you know, all you needed was a a pulse to get a loan in this last run up of the economy. And uh, so I don't have that much sympathy for the lenders because they did it for, uh, they did it for greed. They did it for, you know, because it was, in their financial interest to do it. And now they're the ones who are actually getting off probably better than anybody individual who's getting a loan modification. Interesting to note. Let's go to break. But when we come back, we got more with Jeff Lerman. If you want a copy of his free report, 12 warning signs that you're headed towards a lawsuit with your partner, it's Jeff at LermanLaw.com. Jeff at LermanLaw.com. Coming up, we'll talk more real estate and more business law. Twelve thirty today. I got to meet with my bosses. They're gonna get. In. They say that they don't micromanage me, but then they're gonna micromanage me. I'm thinking about bringing Jeff into the meeting. <laughs> Tell him I've, I've lawyered up. <laughs> I don't think they'd like that too much, Jeff. Yeah, just bring me in and don't uh, don't don't announce me ahead of time. Just have me sit right next to you there. There was a exactly. Managers always love that. There was a question on the live blog, and you can get on the live blog at talk910.com, and it asks Jeff, "What's your opinion on commercial real estate?" I think we were just talking during the break here. I think that there are some, I think the window that we're in right now provides probably some of the best real estate buying opportunities that we will ever see in our lifetime for a lot of different reasons. Commercial real estate is included there, but I think you got to be careful. I like commercial real estate for the reasons I mentioned at the outset that I just, for me personally, I kind of like the bigger deals that kind of get my, my juices flowing a little bit more. Uh, but, uh, there is a concern, additional risk with commercial real estate these days. And we say commercial, I'm thinking about shopping centers, office buildings, and even apartment buildings. Let's put all those in the mix. Uh, Let's just, uh, let's just talk about, uh, retail and office for a moment. A lot of people are saying that the ripple effect of everything that's been going on out there is going to hit those two sectors pretty hard. And so if you forget market timing, but if you are trying to look at sort of big picture trends and cycles, it seems like the the majority of the experts that I'm hearing out there are saying commercial real estate is going to be taking a hit over the next 12 months. 
And so you got to be very, very careful and uh, uh, understand the submarket, the product that you're looking at, and the unique story for your particular deal to make sure that you're building in enough cushion to account for that uncertainty, which, by the way, that uncertainty is one of the reasons uh, why you're going to be able to get some great deals is because uh, whenever there is uncertainty, that is going to get built into some additional discounts in the pricing. Now, you say that with a lot of certainty. Why don't you like commercial real estate, um, REITs, as publicly traded investments? Why Do, do you want to actually go out and buy a shopping center in Hawaii? Or why not buy a, a REIT, a real estate investment trust stock that basically goes out and does the same thing? Yeah, I have no problem with REITs. Really? Uh, the, the returns are going to be lower. You know, Historically, the returns are higher on publicly traded REITs than, than commercial real estate. You mean if you buy an individual individual property? Yeah. Uh, what kind of returns historically are you thinking about? 14.1% on commercial REITs in yeah. the last 20 years? Uh, it depends on what kind of deals uh, you're looking at. I don't. If I'm looking at a deal and if the yield is yeah. going to be somewhere in that range, I agree with you. I, wouldn't, I would not, definitely not go into an individual deal that was only offering those kind of returns because you can either get them through a REIT or if you want to, just go out, especially today, and get a uh, invest in a put your money out there in a hard money first trust deed. You know you're going to get probably about fourteen and a half percent. Get a few points for it, and it'll be a lot less risky than being all into uh, an individual uh, commercial income property. Hopefully, in these markets, you're looking at returns that are north of twenty. If you're not, I think you sh- absolutely should be looking at REITs. Okay. Or, or or first trust deeds, second trust deeds, which you could do a whole show on smart investing in first and seconds. Maybe I'll bring you back on. You could do that for me because I don't like actually working. <laughs> <laughs> I like it when you're here because you, uh, you like to talk and you can carry a conversation pretty easily. So let's talk about what you do. You're a real estate attorney, but you're also a business attorney. Is a real estate attorney the right phrase to use there? Sure. Uh I, again, niche myself as the real estate investor's lawyer because I'm a real estate investor. I like dealing with real estate investors. I kind of share a certain uh, common uh, uh, bond, if you will. Once you've been in the trenches dealing with the same problems they deal with, you can can relate and understand it in a unique way. And I think that always helps in a lawyer-client relationship when you click somebody in the eye and say, I know what what you're going through and really mean it. Uh, But... Uh, sure, real estate. You know, real estate is such a broad umbrella. You could put a lot of different things under real estate lawyer that I don't do. Uh, so it, it works for this show. What do you think about the people like Donald Trump? I got no problems with Donald Trump. <laughs> I'm you know, to, tried to pick a fight here. You one not... of the one of the best books I ever read. I don't know if you're right. Did don't you read... say don't say Art of the Deal. Art of the Deal. Oh, you're crazy. You're you're losing me on that one. Wait, okay, here's why I liked it, and you tell me why you don't. Okay, I read it when it came out. What was back in uh, the uh, late eighties? Mid mid eighties. Okay, one of the first books I read when I was starting to get interested in real estate, and what I thought it was good for is uh, I thought it was inspirational. Okay. I mean, as a as a guy back then, I was in my like thirty. I wish I could make money like Trump did. Have a rich daddy die. <laughs> so I'll give the guy some credit. Look, I got no soft spot. I think the guy is uh, over the top in terms of overexposed and right. you know and all that. So I'm not yeah. saying I love everything Donald Trump does, but you got to give him credit, you know, for the. Um, and I'm not sure how much was you only heard his side of the story right. in that book, of course. 
But I think it's a great inspirational book, and he's got a great inspirational story. He made it, you know, he made it at a time when there was the New York real estate market was in the toilet. And he's also gone bankrupt a couple of times. Yeah, and, absolutely and, true. So I don't know if we should be taking advice from a guy who goes bankrupt. It's no. like Kiyosaki. I hate Kiyosaki. Do I, do I have to buy the whole package? Can I just take the parts I like? I think okay, if you can. You win. You win. <laughs> I think if you, if, if the one, the one takeaway that I get from that, that book was back then, thinking back to when I read it 20 plus years ago, is it got me kind of um, fired up, you know? And so for that, I, I, I think it's good. And I, again, changing the topic, but I don't like Kiyosaki. Again, he's one of those people who made up his past and sold it as right. as as fiction or as fact when it was truly fiction. And right. he didn't make money on real estate. He made money on selling people the idea that you could make money on real estate. And he made money on the seminars. Yeah. Yeah. So. And the, you know what? Uh, there are a whole lot. Of, if you want to start talking about investment books uh, that may not be the best investment. Right, you know, right, yeah. Don't stop with Kiyosaki. I, mean, I, I got to say, I've never finished. I started reading Kiyosaki's book. I didn't finish it. Uh, I think that uh, if if any of these investment books are a starting point for, for the reader, say, gee, this is uh, now I feel like, A, this gives me the inspiration, the motivation, and B, now I know what first step to take in terms of uh, how to get started, then I think it's good. If you if you buy any of this and, and buy into it hook, line, and sinker without critical thinking, I think that is a problem no matter what book or educational tool you're looking at. We've got about two minutes left, and I see in your bio that you represent, and I'm speaking with Jeffrey Lerman. You can find him at LermanLaw.com, but you represented a major celebrity as the defendant in a defamation lawsuit. Right. What was the background of that? Uh, well, it's public record. It was uh, um, Merv Griffin uh, okay, really? a lot of years ago. Uh, he got sued by Lorna Left, who was uh, Judy Garland's sister, for a uh, I'm sorry, not Lorna Left, Sid Left, Sid Left, okay. uh, wh- who was Judy Garland's husband. Okay, and because uh, Merv wrote a a book, and there was uh, this goes back a lot, a lot of years, many years. Uh, said some things in the book that didn't portray uh, Sid Left in the most positive light. And uh, so it was a First Amendment case. It was very interesting. Who did you represent there? Merv or? Merv Griffin. Okay. Uh, what was Merv Griffin like? Great guy. Great guy? Great, really great guy. Wildly successful businessman in America that most people don't know. Yeah. So and, a huge you know, real estate developer, huge, uh, ga- he owns most of the game shows we love and watch. That's right. Owns some casinos. A lot of creative. Yeah. It, the funny thing is, though, for all, for all the years he owned the Beverly uh, Hilton Hotel. Uh-huh. I, you know, you drive by it today and you say, why didn't he fix that up a little bit? Because it really, it doesn't look that impressive. But no, Merv Griffin is a, a very, very uh, smart, multi, multi-skilled guy. So Jeff Lerman, he'll be back. But if you want a copy of his report, 12 Warning Signs, you're headed for a lawsuit with your partner, email him, jeff at lermanlaw.com. And that's L-E-R-M-A-N law.com. Website's lermanlaw.com. If you need a business attorney, he can do it. If you need a real estate attorney, he can do it. If you need an estate planner, his wife can do that. That's pretty cool that you get to practice with your wife. Yeah, it is. So I've got two brothers who are lawyers, and I wanted to be a lawyer once because we were going to open up Black, Black, and Black. I didn't have the, the, the intelligence to be an attorney. <laughs> with that said, we're done here. Thanks, Jeff. Thank I'm you. Rob Black. It's the Rob Black Show, 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk. Restart.
retired general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.